So hello everyone. Hello and welcome. Um, so my name is Dimitri. It's like welcome to the second episode of our podcast about um, uh, transatlantic security. Hello, I'm Vava, and I'm also welcoming you in the second episode of our great show. Yes. Uh, so this time uh, we're going to discuss. Uh, we're going to start with the discussion of uh, anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall. Uh, then we move to the terrorism, um, the topic of terrorism. Yes, and especially about the Islamic State, which uh, did some retaliations after their defeat in the Middle East. And then we continue with uh, some developments uh, with Iran and its nuclear program. And finally, uh, discuss uh, a few, uh, discuss some news about artificial intelligence and international security. Um, so uh, let's jump right into it. Yes. So as we already noticed, like the first topic, I guess it's like the biggest topic and um, it's like the great significance for us personally, I guess, because we record this in Berlin and we study in Berlin. Uh, it's like the anniversary of the fall of Berlin Wall and um, what we can make uh, out of it in nowadays in modern world. Yes, many historians claim that the fall of the Berlin Wall was one was basically the end of an era of the 20th century and moving to the politics of the 20th century. But the question is, of the, of the 21st century, I'm sorry. But the question is, what does this symbol mean today? Uh, does it mean anything else than it did 30 years ago? Uh, well, I guess it's very interesting because um, uh, this, uh, um, there were like a lot of um, political events going on. Of course, there was like anniversary events in, in Berlin and Germany, but uh, especially in Berlin, but also the visit of Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State um, in Berlin. Uh, and uh, his, uh, he published uh, a statement where he says like uh, about, uh, where he commemorates like this event, uh, underlines its, its importance, but at the same time, it's, it has like this uh, specifically modern narrative about uh, the situation where we are now in terms of security and this whole idea about the return of like great power politics and the return of, of geopolitics and all this competition between um, uh, the United States and Russia, between the United States and uh, China. And it's really interesting because like um, the, the basically uh, uh, he uses like this narrative, uh, this anniversary to um, just uh, underline this idea that uh, you know democracies and democrat democrat like democratic idea always wins and he is like in the narrative like us versus them i would say well but this is this narrative has been uh, on the minds and mouths of many politicians for many many years in relation in relation to china many people said that if we just let china develop it will develop a democracy but as we can see Mike Pompeo might not yeah. be right in what he's saying here. Oh yeah, I guess it was kind of like a crusade because I mean you can you can read the statement and it feels like a little bit aggressive uh, in terms of uh, I mean it's it's common event uh, and I guess for me it's like I'm Russian and for me it's like very important to understand what the role the Soviet Union played in this events. I guess it's um, overlooked now because uh, when we have these commemorations, people don't talk about like Soviet Union, its role in this event. Because like uh, Soviet, uh, Soviet, uh, the withdrawal of Soviet troops, it was like a decision of okay, so Soviet uh, elites, and this idea that Soviet Union played a profoundly good role in this, and I mean, it's and decided to do something good. I mean, and, and after this uh, thirty years of Cold War. Yes, that's also true that you mentioned that the role of the Soviet Union is often omitted uh, in the fall of the Berlin Wall. 
uh, it shows how different this narrative is portrayed in different countries. For example, in my home country, uh, many people are angered that in the West, the only default of the Berlin Wall is mentioned as the end of the Cold War. And people say that, oh, wait, we were the first ones to abolish communism in Poland in 89. Mm -hmm. We already had free elections in 89. And that's what allowed the Germans uh, in the West to also follow our lead and also destroy the Berlin Wall. So, yeah, it's interesting how this narrative is portrayed differently in different countries of the former Eastern Bloc. Yeah, I mean, uh, I suppose uh, this should be very, kind of very, uh, it should be reconciliation in terms of like, uh, it's a big event for the whole Europe, um, but uh, at the same time, as I mentioned, like, uh, like the Russia wasn't like, I mean, in terms of not Russia, I mean, just Soviet Union wasn't like really commemorated in this event. I mean, it wasn't really discussed like its role. And I guess it's important to uh, understand like this events, uh, like this, uh, for this perspective, like what, what role so the union played and why it like decided to kind of end this era of cold war to to make step forward um the conclude like the ending of cold war but at the same time we have um a big article of uh, Emmanuel Macron the French president in economist and economist he published the article um just before this this uh, commemoration, before weekends on Thursday uh, last week, where he basically says that um, the NATO uh, is brain dead. I mean, this like the name of the uh, it's like a subtitle, um, but also like the the, the concept is like uh, that uh, we have so much problems now uh, with NATO, and uh, we should do something about it because. America is abandoning Europe, and Europe has to be strong. It has to create its own army. It has to kind of um, think about its security from the new position, from the new perspective. Yes, I think it's also a symptom of the worsening relations between the EU and the United States. We'll see if those relations continue to deteriorate after the next U.S. presidential election. Maybe if the, the president's president changes. Uh, but Macron is definitely one of those politicians who wants to bet on European security more than to rely on allies from uh, the other side of the Atlantic. And he just put it into words in this article. And there are some people who agree, some who disagree, especially, for example, in Poland, the prime minister said, it's basically horseshit. Yeah. You should not listen to this. <laughs> That's basically what he said. Uh, and I guess people like uh, people like the foreign minister of Germany would concur to this idea. They're also very pro-European and less inclined to cooperate with Washington. Yeah, I guess uh, France uh, has always had this leverage towards um, United the United States because uh, it's, it has more freedom in terms of it, it's of action that it can take. Uh, because uh, uh, American troops that are stationed in Germany, and I mean, basically, they uh, Germany has no like nuclear weapons, and it could not uh, project its power as much as France uh, can. And I guess like this, that's why kind of like Emmanuel Macron argues for this that we, he wants to project like uh, French power. He wants to see Europe as kind of uh, independent, and that's why I mean, uh, one of like the, his ideas is to. Uh, establish good relationship with Russia, which is kind of like um, f uh, which uh, a lot of like other kind of European countries basically criticize. Um, so I, I would say for me, uh, this anniversary kind of um, underlines this uh, this fraction, like the fractionism in Europe that's going on because. Uh, all parties think very differently about this event and about like European security in general. Yes, I guess you can say that the fall of the Berlin War was a symbolical end of the Cold War, 
And, well, NATO was created uh, to contain spread of communism. And when communism fell, Soviet Union fell, the Berlin Wall fell. You, yeah. One might argue that NATO is no longer necessary. That's that's true. That's uh, that's one way uh, to look at this. Um, but another way is like to understand that we still um, we we're coming back to this, you know, world that is very divided. That is very uh, indecisive in terms of like where we are going and as as Europe in common uh, because you see a lot of divisions in Europe now. Um, um, may, maybe it's it's this events uh, sh- very important nowadays because I mean you, you can um, stop for a while, take a breath, and just think about like the, the future of Europe and the common goals that uh, Europe wants to achieve. So um, yeah, so we finish this section, and I guess we can move on to the next topic. Next topic. Okay, so the next topic that we should uh, cover in terms of uh, transatlantic security is the actions of the Islamic State. As all of you probably have heard, the leader of the Islamic State, Baghdadi, was recently killed in a special operation by the U.S. forces. But, however, this does not mean the end of the Islamic State. There is already a new leader, and the Islamic State is taking retaliation steps. Uh, in the last weeks, they mm, performed a couple of terrorist attacks in Mali, northern Mali. They managed to kill 54 people, which is a terrifying number. Also in Tajikistan, they killed 17 people. And they say openly it's retaliation for the killing of Baghdadi and the new leader calls to avenge the fallen leader. Do you think that killing of Baghdadi will do any harm to the uh, Islamic State or will only would only mm, fuel mm-hmm. the fanaticism. Oh, yeah, I mean, it definitely does harm them because, uh, as we know, when you kind of uh, chop uh, like the head of uh, uh, like such organization as ISIS that basically relies on like strong leadership, it's always hard because it's it's, it's also like a fractionism uh, inside ISIS. Uh, in, as we know, it's it's very hard to. Um, to, it's it's very hard to keep this organization together because like oh people inside the organization they all have like different views about like uh, goals and uh, uh, goals of ISIS and I mean uh, it's like for me it's this narrative what are the next steps for ISIS because I mean it lost its territory uh, almost almost uh, all, all the territory that it had that it controlled and now it's not like kind of Islamic state in terms of it has no more territory so it should restore to this uh, idea of ter- terrorism as uh, um, uh, basically, subvert, subvert, subvert facts, um, and yeah, uh, I mean it's 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 important for them to show that uh, they still have power. They still uh, can uh, intimidate uh, public, uh, intimidate people, ordinary people, um, and security services probably. Yeah, but the issue is that killing of Baghdadi might have created a martyr, which might rally new volunteers to the cause. Yes, yes. Because always having a martyr, well, it can create even religions from from yeah. the start. <laughs> so I fear it might draw new volunteers to the Islamic State, and even though they do not possess any more territory, they're still a formidable opponent to the free world. And as you can see, they can still... Uh, yeah, they're still uh, pretty endurable. In- <laughs> yeah, and they, they can intimidate people... They can. They killed half a hundred people in yeah, one terrorist attack. It's it's really terrible, and they still show that they are a formidable opponent, and it, it needs to be yeah. dealt with. Um, yeah, right. Um, 
I guess in this con uh, co in this context, it's very interesting to uh, what are the next steps of American troops uh, in this region? Uh, are they going to withdraw or not? Because I mean, it's uh, it's been a while since uh, Trump kind of like uh, been champion like, uh, has been openly rooting for this idea that uh, American troops should be withdrawn from the region. And I mean, basically, like he said, like publicly a couple of times that ISIS is defeated and uh, there is nothing to do there anymore. Um, but as you said, yeah, I also think that it's important to maintain some uh, military personnel, to maintain some troops. Maybe not in this. Uh, in, I mean, maybe it's not so uh, so many troops that if you have it now, but uh, still, because I mean, it's still a pretty. Um, um, it's it's still a threat to like humankind and just like to Europe, uh, especially. Yes, but I would like to do an analogy to the Vietnam War here because technically, well, the U.S. is good at fighting conventional warfare. In, Nor in Vietnam, they basically beat the Northern Vietnamese army hard, but they still lost the war because of guerrilla warfare. And this is what the U.S. is not good at dealing with. So now they might oh, yeah. have defeated the Islamic guerrilla State warfare. as a state, <laughs> but they still have a very powerful terrorist underground organization, and they are not good at fighting such warfare, oh, which yeah. Vietnam is a perfect example of. I mean, it's also interesting um, just the, the location of resources of Islamic State because uh, the the whole idea that I mean they they definitely managed to gain a lot of money from like this territory they uh, from. Um, terrorism and uh, from other actions they sold a lot of things uh, illegally uh, some like uh, historical heritage for example um, and but I mean it's a lot of resources and a lot of money and there are a lot of interesting articles about uh, financial capabilities of ISIS and uh, almost everyone assesses like it's it's there are a lot of capabilities they still have I mean a lot of resources they have a lot of money they have um, so where, where how are they gonna strike back and uh, where they're gonna reemerge? Because, for example, they can reemerge uh, in in Africa, uh, or and that's what they did in Mali. Yeah, I mean, there's still like a big uh, terrorism threat in Africa, um, uh, which um, in Sahel re region, uh, where like basically France is uh, has like troops now. And, con and is conducting a lot of military operations uh, with the help of the U.S. Yeah, so. Um, um, it's not. It's not definitely the end of ISIS, uh, as you said. There can be different opinions about it. Probably some people can see it as a new influx of uh, new fresh blood, so to speak, to the organization. Um, or you can see this is a pretty big uh, problem for them uh, because they lost like their leader, uh, who basically bound them together. Yeah, I guess we can hope that this will, this will cause internal uh, fractions inside the uh, inside the organization, and I guess we'll have to live and see how it proceeds. Yeah, so let's let's, uh, let's keep an eye on this and uh, let's and come back to this topic. Like, yeah, and in yeah. the meanwhile, let's move on. To let's the next. move on. Yes. Um, so the next topic, uh, which has like a great importance, I guess, uh, for Europe and for the world in general and for Middle East is like Iran and its uh, nuclear program that, as you, I guess you know, everyone knows it now, um, is uh, in kind of in not in full swing, but I mean it's going. It, it's it's uh, Iran increases its uh, capabilities uh, for enriching uranium. And where it goes, Baba? Well, first of all, after the withdrawal of the nuclear deal with Iran, uh, everything changed. 
Uh, right now, the facilities, which were supposed only to conduct scientific research, they will be now adapted to serve military purposes. So enriching of uranium, as probably many of you know, is very well suited for nuclear weapons. And what does it mean for the Middle East and the world as a whole? Well, it can cause a whole bunch of instabilities. There are many powers in the region who fear Iran, and especially if they were to acquire nuclear yes. weapons, well, this, this could cause some preventive strikes from many powers in the regions. I mean, yeah, if Iran acquires nuclear weapons, then Saudi Arabia uh, will definitely want some nuclear weapons as well. And then other countries probably in the region will also think about this uh, option, uh, so to speak. Um, but yeah, um, uh, this, uh, I guess, they opened, um, uh, then they opened, they restored uh, the operation of uh, enriching facility in Iran. In, in, uh, and this is idea, it's like retaliation for American actions. I guess like um, the whole concept of uh, uh, Iranian strategy now is to make actions uh, in uh, once in 60 days or something like that uh, in order to, uh, in order to, um, uh, not intimidate, but I would say to warn uh, European leaders uh, and you, like I mean, American American leader as well, that Iran kind of sticks to its idea to uh, restore to the bomb creation uh, until uh, it is guaranteed uh, some safe environment for its uh, oil trading possibilities and stuff. So, yes. Um, well, I am very interested about uh, on how Israel will react to this. Because we had a very Absolutely. similar situation when Iraq was building a nuclear reactor. And uh, Israel did everything they could to stop its construction. First, they were sabotaging deliveries from France. Mm. Uh, their agents all over the world were trying to capture parts and destroy shipments. And when that failed, they conducted a very successful air raid and military operation bombing the nuclear facility, even though they were not 100% sure it could be used for nuclear weapons. And as we know today, it probably wasn't suited for construction of nuclear weapons. It was mostly for scientific research. But still, uh, Israel was so afraid of this that they conducted a military operation, basically attacking another country, raiding their uh, facility oh, yes. and killing many citizens. So I wonder how Israel will react when another Islamic power in the region, uh, well, tackles with tackles, nuclear technology. Yeah. Oh, it's... Um just the whole like now it's uh, I guess it's just just a really, it's a really big mess and like Trump Trump Trumpian mess when he like always says like this it's, it's a mess like for him it's everything is a mess I guess international relations but I mean this this is a real big mess in terms of in the Middle East um, because of what, what's going on now it definitely will have an impact on, on the whole uh, security system in Middle East and in Europe um, I mean for me like the most important question whether Iran gets the bomb or not. I guess it's like a bargaining strategy now. Uh, it's uh, it's a pretty much understandable chip that they use now to kind of uh, convince uh, the US or European partners to come back to negotiations and uh, strike another deal, for example. Mm, which is again, uh, it gives Iran a lot of leverage because I mean, it, it doesn't just like it doesn't just say, okay, look, uh, now we're gonna like build a bomb and we're gonna have it like in eight or like six months or something like that. They they take these steps like um, in a very modest pace, I would say, and they understand that this bargaining it uh, it can work. 
eventually but it uh, they, might backfire as well yeah i mean they they're wa- they're definitely uh, waiting for elections in 2020 because you all know that uh, democrats against uh, were against withdrawal and uh, barack obama democratic candidate he uh, uh, it was his deal uh, jcpoa uh, his kind of like creation and let's see how it goes i mean definitely ron is waiting for elections and um, there will be some pivotal moment. Uh, how, what steps Iran going to have uh, if uh, Trump stays in power? I guess we'll have to also to wait for the reaction of the uh, powers next to them. And as usual, we'll see how the situation develops. Yeah, let's, uh, let's keep an eye on this as well. And let's jump uh, straight into the last topic. And um, the last topic... Uh, that I guess um, maybe wasn't uh, on the news like recently. It didn't have like uh, this big coverage, uh, but I guess it's still important for in- international security to assess the role of artificial intelligence uh, because um, in the U.S., like last week, there were uh, Senate hearings about uh, artificial intelligence and the the new project, like program that they're gonna draft uh, in order to raise money for that. And there was like kind of the same meeting with Vladimir Putin in uh, in Russia, uh, I guess uh, last week, on the end of last week. So, uh, what do you think, Vava? What's what's the role of artificial intelligence in international security? Well, it's still a very new topic and a very new technology. We still haven't developed uh, uh, artificial intelligence that we can call fully artificial and intelligence. Um, but it all comes down whether or not it will be used in military purposes when it gets developed. Because I cannot see it playing any other role in the international stage than in military terms. And it's good that people are finally starting to uh, take legal actions as, mm-hmm. it, as to artificial intelligence because there are many scientists who consider artificial intelligence uh, as a threat to humanity. Oh, yes. The prime example would be the late Stephen Hawking who said that if we ever create artificial intelligence, it will yes. be the end of us. Oh yes, I mean you can you can look at this from like uh, through military perspective as as uh, as you understand that uh, artificial intelligence is definitely future of military. Uh, I guess uh, I I I I was a part of like a panel discussion about uh, the future of uh, next generation uh, air, uh, jets, for example, mm-hmm. and a lot of like experts uh, saying that uh, the future like sixth generation jets will be basically fully automated, uh, fully so basically uh, drones. Yeah, uh, yes. Dr- Big drones, yeah, but with good capabilities, not like drones that we have now. But I mean, we do have like impressive drones, like in the US and in but China. They're, but they're still piloted by people. Yes, yes, but I mean, uh, you're not, you do not risk uh, human lives. I mean, in terms of if it's if it's uh, if it's if it's shut down, like basically don't care. I mean, it still costs a lot of money, but at least uh, you don't need pilots to train. You don't need. Um, uh, experts, because I mean, every pilot is 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 kind of an expert. Uh, it's very unique. Well, this would transform the nature of war for as a whole, because now the countries with let's say larger manpower would not be the ones who win wars, but the ones with the industrial capacity to oh, manufacture yes. artificial soldiers. Which which also comes hand in hand, as you can see in China, for example, because China, I guess, is very. Uh, is very advanced in artificial intelligence now, uh, and I mean, if you if you've seen like Chinese drones, like I mean, they're very impressive. I mean, very impressive, um, and they actually sell these drones around the world now uh, to the Middle East. Um, 
especially. So let's see. Uh, this is another, I guess, very interesting um, topic to discuss and to uh, to to watch. But well, so far we haven't created a real artificial intelligence. So so far not. Um, but when we do, I'm sure we'll discuss it here. Okay, Terminator is coming, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's hope that Skynet doesn't kill us all. Okay. Uh, and uh, uh, so we wrapping up this podcast. Yes, that will be um, this for. For today. Thank you all for uh, uh, listening to us. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, have a nice week or weekend, uh, depending like when you listen to us. And bye-bye. And we'll get back to you with new news. Yes. See you. See ya.